Hello, and welcome to the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Wherever you are, thanks for joining us on the journey today. We are glad to have you with us today. We are now into the month of July, and on Fridays in our podcast, we like to grab a series, something that we can look forward to every Friday, something that kind of ties all the Fridays in a particular month together. And so for the month of July, we're going to go to the book of Jonah. Several years ago, I had a series of sermons called Jonah in July. And we're not really following those sermons per se, but we want to just look at Jonah uh, each Friday in this month. And so we're going to talk each Friday about uh, one chapter in particular in the book of Jonah. So today we're going to start in the first chapter, talk a little bit about the background of the book. And as the story began, we find Jonah in a boat. And we want to talk about lessons we learn from the boat. And so we begin, first of all, with just some background technical information. Uh, Jonah is one of the earlier prophets we find in our book. We remember our, our prophets are not necessarily in chronological order. It's written about 780 B.C. to one of the few prophets that was not written to Israel or Judah. It's written to the nation of Assyria, and it deals with some things about that. Of course, when you hear Jonah... The story always comes out about Jonah and the whale, and a lot of people think that that's what the story's all about. Uh, the fish, or the whale, or the giant fish, is only named four times in this book. The city of Nineveh is only mentioned nine times, but God is mentioned 38 times. And so this is really about one's relationship with the Lord, as God calls Jonah to go do something. Uh, the second verse of the very first chapter says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And that's really the backdrop of the story. And as we unfold the different pages here, we're going to find that Jonah didn't want to go. And he's a prophet with an attitude. And we'll talk about some of those things. But Jason, to begin with, you know, as every time we hear this story, the question is kind of looming around. Is that really a true story or is that yeah. just one of those make-believe myths? Yeah, well, and lots of ways to approach that. I mean, we could go back and we could look at the Old Testament itself with a critical eye. We could listen to various scholars and and look at how they dissect the book and the language, the way that it was written. But for me, what really grounds my faith in the fact that this really happened is Jesus. Jesus talks as if this really happened. And Jonah isn't the only one. Jesus talked about Adam and Eve and the very beginning as if that really happened. He talked about Abraham and Sarah. He talked about Lot and famously Lot's wife. Uh, Jesus talked about Moses. He talked about David, Solomon, Elijah. I mean, on and on we could go as if these men and women really lived. And that is significant if Jesus is who he claims to be. And, of course, the ultimate proof of the fact that he is who he claims to be is the resurrection from the dead, his resurrection. And so if anyone is qualified to talk with authority, it is Jesus. 
If anyone is qualified to talk about the past, the ancient past, it is someone who was able to back up the claim, I am. He he said in, in the Gospel of John, before Abraham was, I am. And so, Roger, you and I clearly were not there. This was a very long time ago, a very far ways away. But we are listening to someone who has always been, someone who is aware of everything. And I would just settle in Matthew chapter 12 to answer uh, definitively. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answer Jesus in Matthew twelve thirty-eight. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And we're not left to wonder what that is. In verse 40, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Listen to that. Jesus is talking about judgment to come. He is treating the men of Nineveh as real people who will really be held accountable in the judgment. He draws attention to the fact that they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, he concludes something greater than Jonah is here. So it's a long answer, but hopefully it is a a definitive answer. According to Jesus, the most reliable source, this really happened. And and Jesus would not put the stake of his resurrection, which is the pivotal point of the Bible, on a make-believe story. Right. I mean, he didn't say it's just like Paul Bunyan and the Blue Ox. Well, <laughs> that's a that's a great story, but that's not real. And so Jesus never used the make-believe. And so that that has a lot of a lot of credibility right there to understand if this is not a real story, then maybe Jesus never really was raised. And that's that's how important this link is between those two. And we yeah. need to see that. This is much more like studying about Abraham Lincoln or George Washington, people who really lived, than Pinocchio, right? Pinocchio has a giant fish, but we're not talking about a make-believe story. We're talking about history. Absolutely. So as we walk through the first chapter, one of the first things we notice is this four times the word great is used. He begins in verse 2 by talking about Nineveh, the great city. And then God's going to cause a great wind in verse 4. And then that becomes a great storm in verse 12. And then there's that great fish that's going to come and swallow Jonah. So, so Jason, why don't you just, in your own words, just tell us what the first chapter is about. Sure. It begins in verse 1. God has a word that comes to this man. We know whose son he is, even Jonah, the son of Amittai. And as you referenced in verse 2, God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. It is a great city. I want you to call out against it. Jonah is not bringing good news here. He is bringing a reproof, a a rebuke, and a call for turning. And the reason is Nineveh is full of evil. God didn't stutter. His words were very clear. His expectation clearly expressed 
But, verse 3, Jonah heads the other direction. God is calling him to go east. Jonah heads west. He finds a ship going in the opposite direction. He pays the fare. He goes down in it. They head west away from the presence of the Lord. Now, we uh, just the next few verses clearly get the idea. Jonah may believe that he is running away from the presence of the Lord, but as we referenced a few moments ago, the Lord is everywhere. And in fact, in verse 4, it is the Lord who hurls this great wind upon the sea. There is a mighty tempest. The ship is about to break up, and experienced sailors are absolutely afraid. They're calling out each one to their gods. They're throwing things overboard. Jonah is asleep, and so the captain comes and and encourages him to call out to his God. Maybe that God, this God of this stowaway, will give a thought to us that we don't perish, and they just keep trying, keep trying, and, and it's not working. And so finally, they want to know, who are you? What What's your story? And Jonah confesses, I'm a a Hebrew, a descendant of Abraham, I fear Yahweh or Jehovah, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And and that just unsettles these men all the more, right? You mean you've offended the God who made the sea? What What have you done? And finally, Jonah says, listen, I'm going to need you to throw me, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and Jonah believed that the sea would quiet down. They, they refuse for a little while, and finally they say, okay, you've got to go. They hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. They fear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob exceedingly. In fact, they offer a sacrifice to the Lord, and they make vows. The chapter ends with the same God who issued the call to Jonah to go, who hurls the great wind upon the sea, the Lord appoints what the end of Jonah 1 describes as a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And here's what Jesus was referencing. Jonah is in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And and that wasn't just coincidence. That wasn't just, you know, it was lucky that fish happened to be there at the right time. Everything was designed by God. And and what we see here that God had appointed this fish, <clears throat> Jonah, as as we'll carry on the next week and following week, we'll find out he wasn't digested by that fish, which would be a natural thing that would take place. Uh, this is all the hands of the Lord. But now within this first chapter, there are some lessons we need to look at. And that's what we want to spend this podcast looking at these things. It's a great lesson, great story. Uh, the entire book of Jonah can be read in less than 15 minutes. It's not a very big book. But it's just layered and layered and layered with lessons that will help us. And I think one of the first lessons comes from verse 3. When Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, he went down to Joppa, he found a ship, and paid the fare. How, how, How convenient all that was. If you want to disobey God, the devil will provide an opportunity. I mean, had Jonah gone down there, and yes, there's a ship, but it just left 30 minutes ago. Oh, wow. Or Jonah went down there, and here's a ship, but it cost $10,000, and all I have is 50 cents. That's the end of the story. But the Jonah had the money. 
Jonah had the boat, and Jonah ran from God. And sometimes that's what people do. And I think in their minds, Jason, they, they think, if I get so far away, it's not going to be practical for God to send me. He'll have to get someone else to go. And I can get out of obeying God because I'm just, I just can't do this now. Right. It is the same God who provides the way of escape. You, you've highlighted that the devil provides an opportunity. First Corinthians 10 emphasizes for us that God is always going to provide that way of escape, but he is not a God that we can bargain with, run away from, somehow hide from, and avoid any sort of accountability. It makes me think of Psalm 139, where uh, the psalmist clearly recognizes it's labeled as a psalm of David. Uh, This is a, a truth that was a great comfort to David at times, but also a terrible realization for David at times, right? Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? David recognized in Psalm 139, I can't do that. No matter how high or low or far I go, God, you are already there. And Jonah in his short-sightedness. By the time we get to the end of the book, we'll we'll talk a little bit about why he has the attitude that he does, but it, it does show us even when we intellectually know better, sin makes us act like fools. Absolutely. And and you know, another lesson that comes out of this is by Jonah's disobedience. He put everyone on that boat in danger as well. Yeah. And, you know, they, they were rolling as fast as they could. They threw cargo overboard. Well, that cargo was supposed to go to another city. Somebody had probably bought that cargo. I mean, imagine you order some stuff from Amazon and the UPS man pulls over and <laughs> dumps everything out of the back end of his truck. Well, well that's my stuff. Okay. So, so there was, a, there was a lot of innocent people in this story that got hurt because of Jonah's attitude. Jonah decided, I don't want to obey God, so I'm not. And right there's a lesson for us. You know, there's a dad, and I decide I don't want to go to worship anymore, and and the entire family stays home. I hurt all those innocent people. Here's somebody decides to disobey God and, and drink and drive, and he hits another car. His sin has hurt innocent people. Jonah's disobedience put other people in jeopardy and then he never thought about that. All he was thinking about is, I simply don't want to do what God wants me to do. And that that's a, a, a dangerous situation as we think about that. Yeah, I think as we head into the weekend, such a powerful thing to think about the ripple effects of our choices, our actions, our, our failures maybe to act when we need to act, even what we say and how we say it. Really easy in the 21st century to talk online and forget that the people we are talking about, the people we are talking to, the, the, the little avatars that are represented on our screens are representative of real people with real lives. Sin cannot be tamed. It cannot be controlled. I am not the master. And I appreciate how you've highlighted it always is going to have more ripple effects than I intend in the moment. So let's go back to that, that earlier thought. What do you say to somebody, Jason, that says, 
I don't want to forgive somebody or I don't want to go to worship. I mean, God told Jonah what to do, and the bottom line is he didn't want to do it, so he went the other way. Yeah. What immediately comes to my mind is how patient God is all the way back on page four of our Bibles when he talked to Cain. And slightly different scenario, obviously, different person. But from the very beginning here, the Lord reasons with Cain. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, he asks, why? Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Uh, He could just as easily and, in fact, does ask very similar questions to Jonah. We will see in Jonah chapter 4, right? But you listen to how God reasoned with Cain in verse 7 of Genesis 4. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so for someone who who has that sort of an attitude, I think passages like Genesis 4, 6, and 7 Place the emphasis where it needs to be. Listen, this is your choice. No one can do the right thing for you. God is cheering for you, but God is also going to hold you accountable. You must have a heart to do what is right, even when it's the tough thing to do. And if you do what is right, you are pleasing the one who matters most. Absolutely. You know, another lesson, it's just, it's just so opposite the way this ought to read. But when, when the captain of the boat, because of the severe storm, calls upon the sailors, and these are pagan guys, to, to pray, verse 14 says, Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And then, as we already mentioned, it says in verse 16, they feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What's missing in this first chapter is Jonah praying. We don't see that. Jonah refers to God. Jonah says he's a Hebrew, but we don't read from the lips of Jonah that he ever prayed in this first chapter. We got the pagans praying, but the man who ought to be praying isn't. And what a lesson, because sometimes those of the world may show the Christians what they ought to do better than the Christians. Yeah. And that that's just a, a, a sad commentary way back then, but it even happens today. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, we're queuing up, obviously, for next Friday, Jonah chapter 2, where we will hear him pray. And even then, there are some things I would suggest that are missing from his prayer that maybe ought to be there, but it is a reminder that even when we are called to represent God um, accurately and humbly, we can intellectually know, okay, God is there. We can even believe God is good. God knows everything. God is everywhere. I, I mentioned earlier that sin makes us act like fools we all at different times in our lives are going to have these 
low moments where we are reminded, okay, I am not invincible. I am not impervious to sin. I must be on my guard because just like God said to Cain way back when, sin's desire is contrary to me. And when I see pagans and people who don't know better doing the right thing and here I'm not, all right, what am I going to do? Am I just going to continue to harden my heart and and be stubborn and maybe spiritually pouty? Or am I going to humble myself and recognize, you know what? I've made a fool of myself. Even then, I'm going to have a choice to make. Yeah, sometimes the pagans can be kinder and more thankful than the people of God should be. And yeah. that's, that's just a sad story. So as we wrap this up, we go to the last verse. And Jonah's tossed over. A giant fish swallows him up, and he's in that belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And next next time, we'll, we'll talk about chapter two and what life is like. But I remember when my kids were little, we watched the old Disney cartoon Pinocchio. And when Pinocchio was swallowed by that whale, he was sitting in a rowboat and had a little candle going on. And, <laughs> and what do you think it was like? being inside that fish. Uh, I, of course, no traces of any candles that we read about. I cannot imagine how dark it would be. We, we get a small sense of that, as we will see in Jonah chapter 2. The fish is obviously underwater. You don't have to get very deep in the water at night for it to be really dark. He's not just in the water. He's inside of this fish. I cannot imagine how it smelled. Uh, I, I can't imagine everything sloshing around, how how tight, presumably, it would be. It would be like being buried alive. Yeah, and, you know, and as typical fish swim up and down, up around, you, you don't have a periscope on this thing. Oh, you're, you're in total darkness, and you're just, just being tossed around. And I don't, I don't envision it being roomy like a big cave. No. Uh, you know, I think all the organs of the fish were pressing in on you and it's gushy and gushy and stinky and, you know, just, uh, a hard, hard lesson for three days. And so we, we'll come back to this and, and talk about what happens inside in chapter two, but, uh, great thoughts for us as we think about chapter one here. Yeah. And ultimately it, it points us to even Jonah needed a savior right? I need a savior. You need a savior. Jonah needed a savior. There was someone else who fell asleep in a boat and, uh, the disciples were moved by the end of that experience in Matthew 8 to say, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And he is our savior, right? And so Jonah powerfully points us in the direction of, well, sometimes we all can be much more hard-hearted and stubborn than we ought to be, but thank God Jesus the Christ wasn't like that, and lots of lessons still to learn. We got three more chapters. Absolutely, you know, and, and God could have easily just left Jonah inside that fish yeah. and said, this is what you deserve, but God had grace. God, yeah. had, God wasn't done with him. And same lesson for us as well. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. We hope it's helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. We look forward to next Friday, Jonah chapter 2. In the meantime, always remember when you're walking with Jesus, 
You're heaven bound and the best is yet to come.